Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Jenny White Show. I'll be your host today, Maceo Coleman, and I will, we will be talking about The Master Key to Riches by Napoleon Hill, Part 2. Uh, this is uh, Week 2 of the Millionaire Mindset. We're reading from the book, The Master Key to Riches, Riches by Napoleon Hill, and this book, It's giving us the keys to a mindset that will propel us forward into positive thinking and how to manifest and attract the positive things that you want to happen in your life. We will discuss the 12 riches of life and your obligation to share the wealth. If you can hear me, uh, push the one so that I can know that you can uh, hear me on this uh, all right, very good, very good. We've got a caller. Uh, I'd like to bring in our uh, our hostess with the mostest, uh, Miss Jenny White. Hi, Jenny White. How are you doing today? Well, I'm fine, and thank you for. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to let you know of. Uh, I wanted to do something for you first, and it's down at the bottom, WPJC disclaimer. So is that okay? All right. Well, let's see what we got here. Can you do it? This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. All right, very good. Okay, thank you. Well, very good. We're working out the kinks. Oh, yeah. No problem. (laughs) We both have access, so, I mean, that works out. All right. So you can see what's going on. But what we'll do, what we'll do is uh, we will uh, begin the show by um, first going over the 12 riches of life that we covered last week. And then we'll start with um, our next chapter in the book. The Master Key to Riches by Napoleon Hill. And I'll recap from last week. Um, Our 12 riches of life. The first is a positive mental attitude. Our second is a sound physical health. 
the third rich, one of the riches of life is harmony in human relationships. Number four is freedom from fear. Number five, the hope of achievement. Number six, the capacity of faith. The seventh, willingness to share one's blessing. Eight, a labor of love. Nine, an open mind on all subjects. Ten, self-discipline. Eleven, the capacity to understand people. And twelve, economic security. So we went through all those, and I think that um, uh, that recap was uh, very promising and very interesting. Now, what we're going to cover uh, today uh, is Chapter 3, The Nine Practices for Receiving Life's Riches, and this is uh, in our book series, of a millionaire mindset. And before uh, I get started, I'm going to start with a um, commercial, and then we can uh, we can get this party started. So, uh, without further ado, I'm going to uh, run uh, one of our sponsors commercials, and then uh, I'll be right back with you right after these messages. If you are in need of life insurance, auto or home insurance, or need help in getting out of debt, call your helpful insurance agents at Prime Financial Services. Did you know if you add a child rider to your life insurance policy, you can add multiple children for the price of one, starting at $10,000 worth of coverage for under $10. Call today for a free quote at 313-293-0979. Make sure you heard this ad on this show for a free gift. All right, we're back. The nine practices for receiving life's rewards. I want to share with you those practices I have used to maintain my positive outlook on life. The first is gratitude. Practice being grateful for everything that life has blessed you with. Every day I voice my appreciation for what I have received and I say, today has been beautiful. It has provided me with health of body and mind, it has given me food and clothing. It has brought me another day of opportunity to be of service to others. It has given me peace of mind and freedom from all fear. For these blessings, I am grateful. Next is the practice of material prosperity. Every day you must attune your mind to the consciousness of opulence and plenty free from the fear of poverty and want. I'm going to repeat that. Every day you must attune your mind to the consciousness of opulence and plenty, free from the fear of poverty and want. Third is the practice of sound, physical, health. Every day be conscious of how you are treating your body, what you are eating, and how you are managing your stress. 
Be aware of your health helps. Being aware of your health helps you to value and sustain it. Fourth, practice peace of mind. Try to keep your mind free from all inhibitions and self-imposed limitations, thereby providing your body and mind with complete rest. Next is the practice of hope. Be grateful for the fulfillment of today's desires and for the promise of fulfillment of tomorrow's aims. Six, practice faith. Whatever that might mean to you, I'm grateful to God for the guidance God has given me for inspiring me to do what has been helpful to me and for tuning and for turning me back from doing that which, had it been done, would have proven harmful to me. <laughs> so we have to be thankful for God not allowing us to getting in, get in our own way. Next, the practice of love. This includes not only romantic love, but also love of country, love of family, love of friends, and love of all humankind. Fire to share your riches with all with whom you come in contact. Be conscious of all the love in your life, which makes life sweet, enhances your relationships with others. Eighth is the practice of romance. What is there to say but that romance is what renews our spirit of youth in spite of the passing of years? Finally, the practice of overall wisdom, which transforms into an enduring asset of priceless value all your past failures, defeats, errors of judgment, and of dead and of and of deed, fears, mistakes, disappointments, and adversities of every nature. For me, these incidents have developed into my willingness and ability to inspire others to take possession of their own minds and to use the power of their mind for the attainment of the riches of life. Wisdom provides me with the privilege of sharing all my blessings with those who are ready to receive them, thereby enriching and multiplying my own blessings by the scope of their benefit to others. I'm grateful for the overall wisdom that has revealed to me the truth that no human experience need become a liability, that all experiences may be transmuted into useful service, that the power of thought is the only power over which one has complete control, that the power of thought may be translated into happiness at will. So in other words, if you want to be happy, just think you're happy. That there are no limitations to the power of thought, save only those in your own mind. I'm going to read that again. I'm grateful for the overall wisdom that has revealed to me the truth that no human experience need become a liability, that all experiences may be transmuted into useful service, that the power of thought is the only power over which one has complete control, that the power of thought may be translated into happiness at will, that there are no limitations to the power of thought, save only those in one's own mind.
So the only limitations that you have regarding what you think is what you put on yourself. So if you want to be happy, all you have to do is think you're happy. Think think happy thoughts. If you are in need of life insurance, auto or home insurance, or need help in getting out of debt. Okay, I don't need any life insurance right now. All right, sorry about that. Got a lot going on. These nine practices condition your mind to receive the benefits of the 12 riches. They serve as a medium through which you can keep your mind fixed on the things you desire and away from the things you don't desire. They provide you with continuous immunity against all forms of negative mental attitude. Thus, they destroy both the seed of negative thought and the germination of that seed in the soil of your mind. They help you to keep your mind fixed upon your major purpose in life and give the fullest expression to the attainment of that purpose. They keep you at peace with yourself, at peace with the world, and in harmony with your own conscience. These practices reveal the existence of that other self, which thinks, moves, plans, desires, and acts by the impetus of a power that recognizes no such reality as impossible. So those practices, if you allow yourself to think that nothing is impossible, will develop. It will help you move, plan, desire, and act. It'll give you that power to recognize that you have the reality that nothing is impossible. And they have proved time and again that every adversity carries with it the seed of an equivalent benefit. So when adversity overtakes you, as it overtakes everyone, you are not awed by it but begin immediately to search for that seed of an equivalent benefit and to germinate it into a full-blown flower of opportunity. This is how these practices help me to retain my positive outlook. So in a nutshell, it's saying that we have positive thoughts and we have negative thoughts. We're in control of our mind and what we think. And we have to think positive thoughts in order to manifest the things that we want in our lives. And when we do have those negative thoughts, we have to overcome them with the positive thoughts that we plant a seed in our mind to overcome and think of all the uh, full-blown flowers of opportunity. How to make use of the 12 riches. Now, let us get on with our story by a description. If you are in need of life insurance, auto or home insurance. Okay, I'm not in need of life insurance. Let me move this cursor and this computer out the way. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. But if you do, if you are in need of life insurance, call 313-293-0979 and we'll get you taken care of. All right. Those are those are subliminal messages, just in case you didn't know. All right. How to use, how to make use of the 12 riches. Now, let us get on with our story by a description of the philosophy 
one must adopt in order to acquire the 12 riches. I have described a method of preparing the mind to receive riches, but this is only the beginning of the story. I have yet to explain how one may take possession of riches and make the fullest use of them. The story has its beginning in the life of Andrew Carnegie, a great philanthropist who was a typical product of the American system of free enterprise. Mr. Carnegie acquired the 12 riches, the financial portion of which was so vast that he did not live long enough to enable him to give it away. So he passed much of it on to others who used it for the benefit of mankind. Mr. Carnegie was also blessed with the teachings of the nine practices. The practice of overall wisdom served him so well that he was inspired not only to give away all of his material riches, but also to provide people with a complete philosophy of life through which they too might acquire riches. That philosophy consists of 17 principles. So make sure you got your pen and pad so you can keep notes and write this information down. This information can change your life. And if you really put it into practice, (laughs) it can make you wealthy, not only financially, but philosophically, philosophically, how about that, philosophically. It can also uh, affect your positive thinking. It could also affect your health in a positive way. So make sure that you uh, you got a pen and pad. The practice of overall wisdom served Andrew Carnegie so well that he inspired not only to give away all of his material riches, but also to provide people with a complete philosophy of life through which they too might acquire riches. That philosophy consists of 17 principles which conform in every respect to the tenets of the great constitution of the United States and the American system of free enterprise. The organization of this philosophy required 20 years of labor in which Mr. Carnegie and more than 500 other great American leaders of industry head apart, each of them contributing to the sum total of what was learned from a lifetime of practical experience under the American system of free enterprise. All right. It was 50 years. A lot of you worked all your life. Some of you listening have retired from years of working. So um, what have you learned in those years? Have those years helped to make you financially wealthy? Or have those years made you, have you worked check to check? Are you in a position right now where you are depending on Social Security or maybe you're fortunate enough to have a pension uh, to help sustain your lifestyle in your golden years, as they call them? Um, I don't know. Everybody has a different story. But Mr. Carnegie explained his reason for having inspired the organization of a philosophy of individual achievement when he said, I acquired my money through the efforts of other people, and I shall give it back to the people as fast as I can find ways to do so 
without inspiring the desire for something for nothing. But the major portion of my riches consists in the knowledge with which I acquired both the tangible and the intangible portions of it. Therefore, it is my wish that this knowledge be organized into a philosophy and made available to every person who seeks an opportunity for self-determination under the American form of economics. It was this philosophy by which Mr. Carnegie was inspired to give to the people with which provided me with the 12 riches and an opportunity to achieve all that I have in life. And it is the philosophy you must adopt and apply if you hope to accept the riches I desire to share with you. That means get your mind right because the information you're about to receive or you're receiving, if your mind isn't open to it, then it's going in one ear and out the other and you're wasting your time listening to it. So, Mr. Carnegie is saying, be prepared. Like I said, an opportunity, uh, when opportunity and preparation meet, it's a beautiful thing. But if an opportunity comes and you're not prepared for it, it's a waste of time. It's a lost opportunity. So, me reading this information to you and the words you hear coming out of my mouth, is an opportunity for you to change your life if you are ready for it, if you're prepared. Because if you're not, then after these four weeks of reading this book, The Master Key to Riches by Napoleon Hill, your life is going to be the same as it has been. And, you know, you can't blame nobody else for that but you because you control your thoughts. Before I describe the principles of this philosophy, I wish to give you a brief history of what it has already accomplished for others throughout more than half the world. It has been translated into four of the leading Indian dialects and has been made available to more than two million people of India. It has been translated into the Portuguese language for the benefit of the people of Brazil where it has served more than 1.5 million people. It has been published in a special edition of distribution throughout the British Empire, where it has served more than 2 million people. It has benefited one one or more people in practicality in every city, town, village in the United States, numbering in all an estimated 20 million people. And in May, well become the means of bringing about a better spirit of friendly cooperation between all the peoples of the world since it is founded on no creed or brand but consists of the fundamentals of all enduring success and all constructive human achievements in every field of human endeavor. It supports all religious all religions yet It is a part of none. It is so universal in its nature that it leads men inevitably to success in all occupations. But more important to you than all of this evidence, the philosophy is so simple that you may start right where you stand to put it to work for you. 
I'm going to say that in. I'm going to say that again. But more important to you than all of this evidence, the philosophy is so simple that you may start right where you stand to put it to work for you today. The 17 principles will serve as a dependable roadmap leading directly to the source of all riches. Whether they be intangible or material riches, follow the map, and you cannot miss the way. But be prepared to comply with all the instructions and to assume all the responsibilities that go with the possession of great riches. And above all, remember that enduring riches must be shared with others, that there is a price one must pay for everything acquired. The master key will not be revealed through any one of these 17 principles for its secret consists in the combination of all of them. These principles represent 17 doors through which one must pass to reach the inner chamber wherein is locked the source of all riches. The master key will unlock the door to that chamber and it will be in your hands when you have prepared yourself to accept it. Your preparation shall consist of the assimilation and the application of the first five of these 17 principles, which I shall now describe at length. All right, now we're getting ready to get to the nitty-gritty. Um, and before we do that, I'll just share that I am faithfully allowing God to guide my steps in a direction that I have uh, surrendered and fully accept whatever blessings he has in store for me. Because I know his blessings are greater than, than, than anything that I could even imagine. So um, I was told a prayer today or a poem that was so dynamic. You're going to see um, it wasn't sent to me. Um, so I'll uh, share that with you next time that I get it. But the poem went, and the thing that stood out to me is not to ask for your life to be easier, but ask for strength to endure what life has for you. It also said that um, not to uh, ask for the strength to uh, prepare, well, let me say this right. So you have a big dream. Ask for the power to um, make that dream come true. And therefore, it won't be a miracle. It might be a miracle to other people, but you'll be the miracle because you ask for the power and the strength to make this great task uh, come true. And when I get this uh, poem next week, I'll read it. <laughs> All right, but the next chapter, chapter four, def definiteness of purpose. Definiteness of purpose. It is impressive to recognize that all the great leaders in all walks of life and during all periods of history have attained their leadership by the application of their abilities behind a definite major purpose. 
it is no less impressive to observe that those who are classified as failures have no such purpose, but they go around and around like a ship without a rudder, coming back always empty-handed to their starting point. Some of these failures began with a definite major purpose, but they desert that purpose the moment they are overtaken by temporary defeat or strenuous opposition. They give up and quit, not knowing that there is a philosophy of success which is a dependable, which is as dependable and as definite as the rules of mathematics and never suspecting that temporary defeat is but a testing ground which may prove a blessing in disguise if it is not accepted as final. Wow. I'm going to read that again. It's impressive to recognize that all the great leaders in all walks of life and during all periods of history have attained their leadership by the application of their abilities behind a definite major purpose. It is no less impressive to observe that those who are classified as failures have no such purpose, but they go around and around like a ship without a rudder, coming back always empty-handed to their starting point. Some of these failures begin with a definite major purpose, but they desert that purpose the moment they are overtaken by temporary defeat or strenuous opposition. They give up and quit, not knowing that there is a philosophy of success which is as dependable and as definite as the rules of mathematics and never suspecting that the temporary defeat is but a testing ground which may prove a blessing in disguise if it is not accepted. So basically, it's saying that we all are going to um, have failures or losses in our lives when we attempt to do things. And those attempts are not losses but they're lessons and if you accept them as a lesson then you will learn from it and then you'll continue to strive for whatever major purpose you're working towards but if you decide that that failure is final and you're defeated and you don't get back on the horse or you don't continue to attempt to succeed in whatever it was that you failed at, then the game is over for you. It's a wrap because you accepted that test as the final exam and you failed as opposed to having perseverance and getting back up, trying and trying and trying and trying again. And believe me, it's not easy. I mean, you could be trying and trying and trying again and be 70 years old. You could be 60 years old and still having to get up. You could be 65, 70 and still having to get up to try again. But if you ever get to the point where your mindset is, okay, it's a wrap. I'm done. I'm tired. It ain't work in my life. My life is what it is, and this is how I'm going to die. Then I mean that's then that's your story. That's your legacy. But what this is saying is that if you continue to try and don't accept failure as a finality or a defeat as the end, then keep trying because that it says 
Defeat is but a testing ground, which may prove to be a blessing in disguise. And then, you know, most people stop right before their blessing. It could be the day before your circumstances would change, but you quit. But the next day, the 24 hours, maybe not even 24 hours, you quit at 11 o'clock p.m. and 12 o'clock a.m. an hour later was going to change your life for everything that you had been trying, but you gave up. And that's real. That's real. I mean, you can look at look at your own life, I'm sure, and see people that have accepted their circumstances to be whatever they are. And that's where they've been for years. Some people right out of high school, some people, you know, in their 20s, some people in their 30s, whatever their circumstances were in, in the 30s, in their 30s, that's what they are today. Some people kept going and, and kept getting better and doing things. And some of those people fell off. Some people were in your life for a reason, like they say, and some were in your life for a season. You know, but you kept going on with your life and in the direction that you were headed. And 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 maybe your life you had a little more dessert than they did because you kept trying. You kept you didn't take no for an answer. And you know, and I'm talking I'm talking about myself in a lot of these circumstances. I'm gonna share something else with you that was in my devotion today. Um, during my prayer, prayer and meditation that I, I thought was very good. Um, and it was, it said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And if you, you know, just so if you're interested, it's in Second Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what is seen is what we is, is what we see when we wake up, when we open our eyes. It's the world around us, which <laughs> has a lot of fakeness to it, a lot of things that aren't reality. But what is unseen is eternal, and that's faith. That's what we can't see but what we believe. All right, we've got um, got a caller who's um, like to make a comment or a statement. I'm going to bring you in. Let's see here. Well, let's see if I can get you on here. All right, caller, you're um, on Let's Talk About It with Jenny White, which you're a host for today, Macy O'Coleman. You have a question or comment? All right, let me try this again. All right, caller, you're on uh, with Jenny White. Let's Talk About It with Jenny White show. Uh, you have a question or comment? Uh, Mr. Co-host, can you hear me? I can hear you now. You How are me? you doing? Yes. Just fine. You know, in listening to a lot of the, I'm always trying to apply it to 
the community in which I have lived. And um, it's interesting to as the look, looking at the, um, the 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 steps and the you know and the items that you have named. To me, this has been this is what the slaves had to do in order to make it. Hmm. Uh, when I when I think of our, our um, during the time of the uh, Reconstruction mm-hmm. after 1865, they came out. And the standard was, if you look at the, the strides that we made, just during the period of Reconstruction, we became statesmen. Hmm. We became, you know, the family, you know, although we were bred and things like that. In order to get those type of positions, and I was asked, you had to be able to be, this is the standard now, married to one woman, and you had to take care of your family, and we did it. All right. The surprising thing, after all of this, we did all of that. In fact, we were moving so fast. Hmm. Um, we had our own land. We were in Congress people. We had our own businesses. We had, I mean, we just, we just bloomed because we, all this time we had been watching what the system looked like. All right. We were digging, planting and all. We did that. The 12, 12 or 14 years that we were in reconstruction, uh, we had a governor of Louisiana. I think his name was Pitts, something, you know, the governor of Louisiana. We had people on, and even had people going to Congress and all of this. We were moving very, very, very fast. And so the the statement came out, well, you know, um, these people, they can't uh, expect to clear up everything at one time. They're moving so, you know, they, this, this takes time, you know, because the, the powers that be was losing. You know, they weren't losing. We were a challenge to them. Mm-hmm. We came out of slavery ready for action. Hmm. Learned, uh, one person, uh, if you learn how, we learned how to read and write. Uh, I heard about, I uh, was reading about a sister. Uh, they were trying to teach him how to read. They had one dress. The mother would put it on in the morning and go to that session. Then she'd come home and take that dress off, and the girl would go to the next session. Anything right. we did to move us ahead, and we were moving very fast, okay, very, very fast. Therefore, they kept saying, well, um, uh, all this, it takes time to, to do that, you know, because, see, we were not in the fields. We were in the fields. We had our own fields. We had our own. We had our own land. We had, oh, you know, Freedom Road had just opened up. And then that's when the powers that be Made in, in, in uh, so the seven, is it 1676 or 17, let's see, 1865, 1876. They said this was, we were moving so fast, and the other people were like losing because their their dependence, their lifestyle was dependent upon somebody being a slave. And we were That's moving true. very fast with, with, with what we, it is, what we had. And it's interesting to note when they came together, when that election between uh, Rosalie Hayes and I think it's Kilman, it was such a mess that these people got into a group and it was in a hotel and a, a restaurant that was run by a black man in, in my understanding of D.C. And they said, listen, let's do it this way. Okay, we'll let you be president, Rosalie B. Hayes, if you move all of the tops, uh, all of the troops out of the north, the southern tops, you pull them out it's true. Well, that's the right. That, but we were moving. They were afraid of it. They were really afraid of it and all of this. 
But even at that, okay, they moved, removed all the troops out of the South and let the South do what they want. Black people, they said the streets ran with blood. All of them. No. The same no, thing. You you know, and this, this was, no. we, we were moving. Right, right here, we were living it. You bring up we a great point. That's a great point. point. Yeah, it is. And, we and, were moving it. Because we had already me, imagined this in our mind. It was, it was in the mind already. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But, you hmm. know, um, uh, I just was reading about this black man who came out of jail, couldn't get a job, couldn't do this. He opened up a little hot dog stand. From the hot dog stand, he moved He moved that business on and on and on, and now he don't have to work. I think it was, it was in Facebook. He was saying, you know, he ain't have to work no more, you know. Hmm. He has his own business. He's done it, and, he, you know, from with the record, you can't hardly get a job. He was talking about that. Uh, I saw it in Facebook today. But we did that. We did it in less than, what, 14 years. The place oh, yeah. that they used to make this decision was in a black man's hotel restaurant where they made it. Pull well, out the troops. You, Don't give them protection. Well, we, Don't give we them can, protection. That's true. I mean, you know, you make a great point. Reconstruction was from the 1865 to 1877. And during uh, yeah. that period, slavery was abolished, and the Confederate secession was annulled, and the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, the Reconstruction Amendments, were added to the Constitution to grant equal civil rights to the newly freed slaves. In 1866, yep, in 1866, Congress federalized the protection of civil rights in response to violent attacks against the black people in the South and ex-Confederate states were required to guarantee freedmen's civil rights before rejoining the Union. Now, Republican coalitions, now blacks were Republicans back then and Democrats were, you know, the Confederates for the most part. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's flipped now. But the Republican coalitions in most ex-Confederate states aim to transform Southern society. The Freedmen's Bureau and the U.S. Army played vital roles in establishing a free labor economy, protecting freedmen's legal rights, and creating educational and religious institutions. Now, what they call carpetbaggers from the North in support of white Southerners, scallywags were involved in Reconstruction efforts. Opposing suffrage and rights for freedmen were the Redeemers. Southern Bourbon Democrats, President Andrew Johnson, he was president from 1865 to 1869, and the Ku Klux Klan, which terrorized and murdered freedmen and Republicans throughout the former Confederacy. Those were the people that opposed suffrage, the Redeemers, Southern Bourbon Democrats. Uh, president Andrew Johnson was a racist like, like Trump and the Ku Klux Klan. And then President Ulysses S. Grant came in from 1869 to 1877. Uh, he supported Congressional Reconstruction protecting black people, but faced declining support in the North with the liberal Republicans joining the Democrats and calling for withdrawal of the army from the South. So in 1877, as part of a congressional compromise to elect a Republican 
as president after a disputed election. That sound familiar? Federal Federal troops were withdrawn from the South. All right, so this is where hell breaks loose. Reconstruction had significant shortcomings, including the failure to protect freed black people from Klan violence beginning in 1871, as well as issues of corruption, starvation, disease, death, and brutal treatment of Union soldiers. Moreover, it offered reparations to former slave owners, but not to former slaves. However, Reconstruction did succeed in restoring the Federal Union, limiting reprisals against the South, establishing constitutional rights to nationwide birthright citizenship. They're talking about immigration, due process, equal protection of the laws, and male suffrage, regardless of race, and a framework of eventual legal equality for black people. So, you know, talking about Reconstruction is a whole nother show. But, no, you were, you were very right when you, you talked about the... We had that energy. Mind, came out of the yeah, the mindset of the people. Political yes. power. Political power. Oh, yeah. That's what they were getting. Voting. Voting and voting. We can vote. We can do this. And they started uh, doing anything they could to drive you back into the fields. That's true. And, so, that I mean, was, and, you know, what we're talking about with the master key to riches is the things that you can control in your own mind. Not so much addressing their mind. I mean, mean, and and it's also addressing, you know, um, the outside forces uh, that may distract you or may um, uh, take your thoughts in a negative place. Um, But regardless of what other people say to you or do to you, you still control your thoughts. And so if your thoughts, yeah, and you don't have to share them, but if your thoughts Mm -hmm. are, you, you know, you're living in a miserable condition, sometimes you just have to escape. You can close, you know, you can close your eyes and escape to a place that makes you feel like you want to feel. Now, when you open your eyes back up, then, you know, reality, you know, might not be all that great, but you can control your thoughts. And if you don't accept that as your permanent reality, then things will change. It's just a matter of time. So it is one of the great tragedies of civilization that 98 out of every 100 people go all the way through life without coming within sight of anything that even approximates definiteness of a major purpose. All right, I'm going to say that again. It's one of the great tragedies of civilization that 98 people out of 100 go all the way through life without ever coming within sight of anything that even approximates definiteness of a major purpose. That means some people ain't never got, they ain't never in their life ever thought about having a major purpose or what their purpose in life is, why they were born. Some people just, you know, 98 out of 100 never reached their purpose or why they were born. And, And it is, and it was Andrew Carnegie's recognition of this tragedy 
that inspired him to influence some 500 great American leaders of industry to collaborate in the organization of this philosophy of individual achievement. Mr. Carnegie's first test, which he applied to all of his associate workers who were under consideration for promotions to supervisory positions, was that of determining to what extent they were willing to go the extra mile. His second test was to determine whether or not they had their minds fixed upon a definite goal, including the the necessary preparation for the attainment of that goal. When I asked Mr. Carnegie for my first promotion, said Charles M. Swab, Charles Swab, one of his employees, he grinned broadly and replied, if you have your heart fixed on what you want, there is nothing I can do to stop you from getting it. Mr. Swab knew what he wanted. It was the biggest job within Carnegie's control, and Mr. Carnegie helped him to get it. Charles Swab, financial investing. Money, money management. One of the strange facts concerning those who move with definiteness of purpose is the readiness in which the world steps aside that they may pass. That means if you have a major purpose and you're serious about it, people are going to get out your way. Even coming to their aid and carrying out their aims. That means your enemies are going to help you get to where you're trying to go. And with that, we're going to take a break right quick. We're going to come back and close this thing out. We'll be right back after these messages. Lions Clubs International is a service or membership organization of over 1.7 million members worldwide. It was founded in 1916 in Illinois. Much of the focus of the Lions Club's work as a service club organization is to raise money for worthy causes as first responders. The Lions Club model is We Serve. Local Lions Club programs include sight conservation, hearing and speech conservation, diabetes awareness, youth outreach, international relations, environmental issues, and many other programs. The LIONS acronym also stands for Liberty, Intelligence, Our Nation's Safety. For more information, contact us at lionsclubs.org. We're back with Let's Talk About It with Jenny White. All right, we're back. All right, we're in the home stretch. So without further ado, we're going to get back into some of this uh, educational information and see how many uh, millionaires we can uh, get on this, uh, get off of this show. And uh, once you make your first million, uh, we'll gladly take 10%. All right. (laughs) Don't forget the ties. Tied, tied. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, how Andrew Carnegie, Carnegie found the perfect employee. 
The story behind this philosophy is dramatic and demonstrates the importance that Andrew Carnegie placed upon definiteness of purpose. He had developed his great steel industry and accumulated a huge fortune of money when he turned his interests to the use and the disposition of his fortune. After he had recognized that the better portion of his riches consisted in the knowledge with which he had accumulated them and in his understanding of human relationships, his major aim in life became that of inspiring someone to develop a philosophy that would convey this knowledge to all who might desire it. He was then well along in his years and recognized that the job called for the services of a young person who had the time and the inclination to spend 20 years or more researching the causes of individual achievement. After interviewing more than 250 possible associates who he suspected might have such ability, by chance he met a young man who had, who had been sent by a magazine to interview him for the story of his achievements. Carnegie's keen insight into human character helped him to recognize that this young man might have the qualities for which he had long been searching, so he set up an ingenious plan to test him. He began by giving the young man the story of his achievements. Then he began to suggest to him that the world needed a practical philosophy of individual achievements that would permit the humblest worker to accumulate riches in whatever amount and form the worker might desire. For three days and nights, he elaborated upon his idea, describing how one might go about the organization of such a philosophy. When the story was finished, Mr. Carnegie was ready to apply his test to determine whether or not he had found the person who could be depended upon to carry his idea through to completion. You now have my idea of a new philosophy, he said, and I wish to ask you a question in connection with it that I wish you to answer by a simple yes or no. The question is this. If I give you the opportunity to develop the world's first philosophy. We're back with Let's Talk About It with Jenny White. Okay, we back. We know we back. All right, Jenny. The question is this. If I give you the opportunity to develop the world's first philosophy of individual achievement and introduce you to those who can and will collaborate with you to develop it, do you wish the opportunity and will you follow through with it to completion? The young man cleared his throat, throat) stammered for a few seconds, then replied in a brief sentence that was destined to provide him with an opportunity to project his influence for good throughout the world. Yes. He exclaimed, I will not only undertake the job, but I will finish it. That was definite. It was the one thing Mr. Carnegie was searching for, definiteness of purpose. Many years later, this young man learned that Mr. Carnegie had held a stopwatch in his hand when he asked that question and had allowed exactly 60 seconds for an answer. If the answer had required more time, the opportunity would have been withheld. His answer had actually required 29 seconds. Mr. Carnegie explained the reason for timing him. It has been my experience, he said, that a person who cannot reach a decision promptly, once all of the necessary facts for a decision at hand are explained, cannot be depended upon to carry through any decision that person may make I have also discovered that those who reach decisions promptly usually have the capacity 
to move with definiteness of purpose in other circumstances. The first hurdle of Mr. Carnegie's test had been covered with flying colors, but there was still another that followed. Very well, said Carnegie. You have one of the two important qualities that will be needed by the person who develops the philosophy I have described. Now I shall learn whether or not you have the second. If I give you the opportunity to develop the philosophy, are you willing to devote 20 years of your time to research the causes of success and failure without pay, earning your own living as you go along? The question shocked him. He assumed that since he had been chosen by Mr. Carnegie for so important a job, he would be subsidized from Mr. Carnegie's huge fortune. He he recovered quickly from the shock, however, by asking Mr. Carnegie why he was unwilling to provide the money for so important an assignment. It is not unwillingness to supply the money, Mr. Carnegie replied, but it is my desire to know if you have a natural capacity to go the extra mile. We're back with Let's Talk About It with Jenny White. (laughs) Okay, Jenny. We know you're back. All right. I keep pushing these buttons. All right. It is not the unwillingness to supply the money, Mr. Carnegie replied, but it is my desire to know if you have a natural capacity to go the extra mile by rendering service before trying to collect pay for it. Then he went on to explain that the more successful people in all walks of life were and had always been those who followed the habit of rendering more service than that for which they were paid. He also called attention to the fact that subsidies of money, whether made to individuals or to groups of individuals, often do more injury than good. And he reminded the young man that he had been given an opportunity which had been withheld from more than 250 other people, some of whom were much older and more experienced than he. He finished by saying, if you make the most of the opportunity I have offered you, it is conceivable that you may develop it into riches so fabulous in nature as to dwarf my material wealth by comparison. For that opportunity provides the way for you to penetrate the keenest minds of this nation to profit by the experiences of our greatest American leaders of industry. And it might well enable you to project your influence for good throughout the civilized world, thereby enriching those who are not yet born. Mr. Carnegie had found the person for whom he had been so long searching, and this person had received his first lesson on definiteness of purpose and willingness to go the extra mile. Twenty years later, almost to the day, the philosophy that Mr. Carnegie had designated as being the reason for his riches was completed and presented to the world in an eight-volume edition. And what of the man who spent 20 years of time without pay, some ask? What compensation did he receive for his labor? A complete answer to this question would be impossible, for the man himself does not know the total value of the benefits received. Moreover, some of these benefits are so flexible in nature that they will continue to aid him the rest of his life. But for the satisfaction of those who measure riches and material values alone, it can be stated that one book written by this man 
and the result of the knowledge gained from the application of the principle of going the extra mile is already yielding an estimated profit of upward of $3 million. The actual time spent in writing the book was four weeks. Wow. Took him four weeks to make $3 million. We're back <laughs> with Let's Talk About It. Okay, Jenny, we back. We're about to be gone. All right. <laughs> we're about to be out of here, Jenny. Hold on. Okay. So uh, he was inspired this for this young man to fulfill this mission that was going to take 20 years. And he explained to him that what he would obtain during this process would be way more than he would be able to pay him. So it's amazing that um, the definiteness of purpose is something that really works. And if you stick with it and have the right mindset and philosophy as far as giving back in, in regards to the information, it benefits you. The blessings come back. Uh, this is an awesome read. And this book has... Uh, over uh, 270 pages in it, close to 300 pages. Uh, and, you know, we're not going to read through all this in, in this four-week period, uh, just in an hour. But, um, you know, getting the principles and getting your mind set on what it takes to move the needle in your life and then putting it to the test and not taking failures or unsuccessful attempts as being all your worth or the end of the story, then you are entitled to get whatever you get out of this life. I mean, they say you only live once. I say you only die once. You live every day. So you want to make every day greater than the next day. You want to make tomorrow better than today. Uh, you have to make a task list of what you want to accomplish. And as you do, you check off each accomplishment. And whatever's not checked off, you, you put it on the list for tomorrow. But the, but the show don't stop. It don't stop. It starts, you know, it's, it's every day. And sometimes when it rains, it pours. So sometimes it just piles on. Things just get worse. Something happens that is not good. Something else happens that's not good. So what are you going to do, cry over spilled milk? Or are you going to man up, woman up, put on your big, big girl pants or big boy pants and, and make some quick decisions? to change your circumstances, you know, but it's all about the seeds you plant. You know, you, you don't, you know, a farmer doesn't plant a seed tomorrow and, and, and reap the harvest. The, the farmer doesn't plant a seed today and reap the harvest tomorrow. It takes time for that seed to grow. 
And it's the same with life. What seeds are you planting? Well, are you planting any seeds? Some people ain't planting nothing. Some people just negative. Some people just sit around and complain. I mean, what type of person are you? I mean, because, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you can't lie to yourself. You can lie to yourself. But the truth always comes out in the end. So if you're serious about changing your life for the better, then it it comes up. You have to have some type of plan or an idea of what you want, and then from there, you have not because you ask not. You ask for what you want. You ask God for the things that you want in your life, and then once you are blessed with something, you have to be willing to give something back or pay it forward. And then it just is a continual cycle. Some of us are on this treadmill. Some of us, you know, got off the treadmill. Some of us just walking down the block, public transportation. I mean, so it's all about where you're at today and making a decision today about changing your circumstances for tomorrow. And then believing in the unseen, having faith that that's going to happen. And doing what you need to do on your end, God will do the rest on his end. But you have to be invested. You have to pay some, you have to put some 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 sweat equity into this process. You just can't ask and then, you know, Lord, I want a Bentley. And then look out tomorrow on the driveway, you got a Bentley out there. And it don't work like that. You got to put in some work. And if you've been putting in work, then maybe you just need a couple little tweaks in your attitude in order to manifest and attract the things that you want in your life to change your circumstances. Sometimes you got to let certain things go to make room for others. Because if you hold on to negative things and things that aren't serving you in a positive manner, um, then, then in that instance, uh, you know, it's um, you can't expect anything positive to come out of something negative. You know, like they say, two negatives make a positive. To give you an example, two ugly people make a pretty baby. <laughs> okay, so that's two negatives making a positive. But other than that, uh, you have to Make the best out of your circumstances. I don't think so. I don't think so. All right. So with that being said, uh, Sister Lucy Payne, would you like to share any final words with us on uh, the Jenny White? uh, Let's talk about it with Jenny White show tonight. Sister Lucy Payne. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. And thinking about all that we've talked about tonight, it's your attitude that um, makes up your altitude. I've heard that statement. Your attitude Hmm. toward a lot. 
it, it, uh, it determines your altitude, how That's far true. you go up. That's true. And I'd like to discuss that with everybody. All right. Well, thank you very much. That, that uh, saying makes a big difference. And Jenny White, would you like to bless the mic and give us some final words? Okay. It was a lot said and very good. And some things I would have to go back and listen again to see how I would do. And a lot of times we don't know, but a lot of things are where we want to do this and want to do that, but it's kept away from us. But it might have been kept away from us because we had something else better that was going to be waiting for us. You know, so we have to, you know, wait and see how it's going to uh, work. But I'd like to say spend time with those you love. And I'll say that again. Spend time with those you love. One of these days you will either say, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did. So what we want to do We don't ever have to say, I wish I had did this and that. No, you can always be smiling and say, I am so glad I did. So that's what I have to say and remember for me. And I think what you were saying was really nice. Mr. Coleman. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. No, go ahead. I was just going to say thank you. No, I was just going to say thank you very much for the opportunity, you know, to uh, be the host, uh, guest host on the show and uh, continue with this millionaire mindset, talking about the uh, Master Key to Riches by Napoleon Hill. We're going to continue to discuss um, these uh, nuggets, the 12 riches of life, and uh, these other aspects of how to change our mental philosophy and manifest the things that we, the positive things we want in our life to fruition. So uh, with that being said, this concludes another show on the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White. I wish everyone a happy weekend, and I'll be flying out to San Antonio this weekend, and uh, I will see you next week, and um, we'll do it again, same time, same place. Well, I you just you tuned in to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Jenny White. Join Jenny every Friday at 8 